Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment. I'm Bruce Wozniak, and if you have found this show, you know where and how to listen. Do make sure that you're subscribing to it, and please help spread the word about NHTE. More than five and a half years on the air. This is episode 293, and yet I'm still always looking to have more listeners hear about the show and the great guests and insights from them on NHTE. The show website is nhte.net. The last eight weeks, you heard episodes that I recorded on location in Nashville in July at the Summer NAM Show. Now it's time to start the march towards our milestone 300th episode. Today, I am out on location in Tampa, Florida, sitting with a guest who, wow, is not only a singer, songwriter, and guitar player, but has a music publishing company, recording studios on both coasts of the U.S., a weekly radio show. He co-authored a book that was released this past February and is even involved in film and fashion. Music-wise, he just completed a score for a new movie, writing a few of the songs with Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. He has also made multiple song placements on the Food Network, and he has shared the stage with the likes of John Fogarty and Paul Anka, and has even written with artists from Boys to Men to Plain White Tees to Candlebox. You've been hearing a song of his called And Then We Were. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Don Miggs. How are you, Bruce? Thank you very much, and congratulations on almost 300 episodes. That's <laughs> Thank a you. Feat. Thanks. It's great to meet you. Thanks for making time to do this and for hosting me. Mm, well, I love having people here. It's you know, you get to sort of spread your wings a little and say, hey, "Look what I have." And as I was showing you my uh, studio, I love guitars and gear, and so I love to share that with other people. Beautiful place, listeners. If this was a video podcast, and if Don would say, "Sure, you can put your camera on it," wow, put it on. Beautiful. I don't care. Uh, let's start by having you talk about the song of yours that we were just playing called And Then We Were. Uh, but, um, so when I started making this last record with a band, I started called The Whole Damn Mess. Um, it's with three other producers and guys who've been doing it like I have forever and, and have sort of, we've all risen to the middle really, really well. So like we'd get uh, to a certain spot and get back down in the middle and, and one of them is a guitar player in the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Our drummer also plays in Cheap Trick. And like I so said, there's all these great people um, that are, we've we've all been doing this thing for a long time. And, and I wanted to make a record. I finished my deal with Capitol Records with a band called Migs, which conveniently is my last <laughs> name, so they couldn't kick me out. Um, and then I just decided I wanted to make music that really spoke to me that I wasn't trying for a record deal. I wasn't trying to please anybody. I didn't care about someone else's demographic. And I said, I want to make music for people like me that love music and also make a very singular thing. And so it's a long way to say, I tried to make with, uh, with my bandmates make songs that all felt like brothers and sisters of each other. So there wasn't like a song that was country and then a song that was rock. And we was all sort of, the same tone over the course of you know a dozen songs, and the first thing that we came up with, uh, I, we were talking about themes, and I, I was talking about my twelve-year, thirteen-year love affair with my wife, and I was just saying, you know, that how much she sort of serves my soul and has for a really long time, and there was this this thing I said it was like I just blinked, and then we were, and so this C. Todd, one of the producers and writers said well that seems like the song we should write mm. and so that song's literally about my wedding day 
and it says, you know, day is breaking, tables being covered in white. Um, somewhere in Bel Air, a sister stands to straighten a tie, and that we got married at the Bel Air Hotel. Paul Anka sang, um, and my sister stood to straighten my tie, and I remember that moment before wow. getting married. Wow. Um, and then it's, you know, this whole thing I call the name of the record is The Queen and the Outcast because there's a moment there where we're standing up at the altar and I just realized like this is my queen and, and I looked around and I'm like and who the hell am I? <laughs> I'm this outcast and so that song I like is, it. you know every, I like every it. line in the song is very specific and pointed beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. good stuff we have a ton to cover here but let's start with that score you just completed for a new movie as I mentioned in the intro well if you know uh, the, if you ever heard of Blair Witch Project, which is Dan Myrick. Um, he has done some other things, Final Destination and a couple other movies, and he started doing this movie called Skyman, which is about about a guy who, when he's 10, he and his dad um, see an alien, or they're visited by an alien. And then his dad passes away, and he believes when he's his dad's age, when he's 40, he has to go back, and he's going to be visited by the alien again if he goes to the same place. Mm. And so as Dan was telling me about this movie, I said, I, I got this score in my head. I've already think, I think I understand what's going on. And he, we were in this room and he said, and Dan is, you know, Blair Witch, he spent $60,000 to make a $400 million return. I mean, it was a phenomenon. The handheld camera is all Dan. No one else did that before Mm. him really. So he was in here and I, I started playing a thing and I said, here's the thing about this. Other people are going to think it's funny and there's this freaky guy and he's going to go find an alien. But to me, we're writing a love story. We're writing about a kid whose dad passes away. And really what he's doing is he's reconnecting with his dad. Mm -hmm. Whether Mm -hmm. he finds an alien or not is beside the point. And Dan said, oh my God, you've got it. So off and running I was, started writing this thing. And then my friend... Uh, Billy Corgan, who's in the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, he he very much is believes in aliens. He believes in UFOs, and he's and he and I were talking. I'm like, you should do some of this score with me. And how? And we were in L.A. at my house there, and he was staying with us, and um, we went out to the studio, and it was the whole thing had been magical. He sat down, I p- started playing a piece, and he said, oh, I love that. Let me add to it, and he added this other thing. And I just was thankfully recording all mm. of the room. So just me and him going back and forth. And we, re- we did four songs. I'm not kidding you, Bruce. We did four songs in about an hour and a half. Oh, my gosh. Literally four things. And I said, all right, Billy, you know, I think we got it. And what you just said is a great lesson. For your benefit, by the way, there are a lot of listeners to the show who are up-and-coming performers that listen so that they can learn from me, yeah, from yeah, my yeah. guests, et cetera. And so just the idea of something that to you probably seems, what's the big deal? So what, you know, so I was recording the room. What, why is that such a aha moment? But listeners, if you're an up and comer and you're getting into some collaborations like that, do that. Uh, what, you know, yes. perhaps, perhaps with the other person's consent, let them know you're yep. recording it, but don't be intimidated by the fact it's being recorded and then just create but look at what you're able Always. to capture. And also for their benefit, I wanted to ask you how you know how you got connected with Dan. And it's okay to say, oh, I've known him for years because they all want to know, well, how do I get connected with someone like that? So maybe I could get my movie, yeah. my music in a movie. You, you know what, Bruce? That's a funny thing is that uh, what I say to people all the time is that 
you got to do the work. And the way you get connected is you do the work. You be good. So when I talk about being in a room, there are a couple things that are certain. If you're not the best musician in the room, you're not the smartest in the room, you're not the most well-connected, that's okay. Be the quietest. Mm. But have something to say. When you speak, have something to say. Be a really great hang. Be someone that people, if you were writing and you didn't contribute so much, but everyone liked you, you're going to get back in the room. So be a good hang. Be someone who it's worth being in a room with you because they're going to enjoy that whatever happened, the experience. And then when it is your moment, be prepared. So, you know, I, I don't think he'd mind me telling telling this story, but um, Mick Fleetwood is a friend as well. And, and I'm, I've met all of these great people just by keeping my antenna up. I'm all, it's never, I don't push for it. I don't, but I do certain things that I think are really important. I never ask for a photo, ever. So if you are with someone who you love, I get in your job, you're you're doing podcasts. It's like, hey, we're going to commemorate this. We're going to take a photo. Yeah. If we were working together in the studio, I would say, hey, let's get a photo because it's important to do that. But I've never once asked any of my famous friends for a photo. And I think that makes them go, okay, he's not trying to... He's not just trying to get something from me. I've never yeah, posted yeah. a, hey, in the studio with Billy Corgan or, hey, here's Mick and I, you know, around the swimming pool. You don't see that stuff because that ruins what they want from it. So if you're an up and comer, the things that are important is that be prepared for it. So my story with Mick, and I wind up talking too much. I apologize. <laughs> so I wanted to write some songs for Mick, for Fleetwood Mac or for Mick, for whatever he was doing. And I wanted him to realize I was serious and was a good player. And instead of telling him what I would do is at night, I would just prepare a song for the morning. So I would be done with my sessions and I would work a little longer and be like, I have this idea. Let me do this thing. So the next morning when he came out of the bedroom in his area and I would, I'd be in the living room playing a song and then he'd come over, sit down, start playing drums on his knees or start humming. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. I wish you went over here. And now, next thing you know, we're collaborating. Now, what does that mean? Maybe it means nothing. First of all, it gives me great joy because I grew up loving yeah. Fleetwood Mac. My family loved Fleetwood Mac. But I'm getting the experience of a guy who has the eighth biggest selling album of all time. So just having things presented to him, being in the room with him, gives you an opportunity for greatness to happen. Well, and I think it also shows... <clears throat> some initiative on your part that you're not just there, say, watching the clock. You're not just there saying, okay, we're doing a session from this time yeah. to this time, and when we're done with it, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. He's probably admiring the fact that you're not in his face with it, but he's also hearing, boy, look at this guy. Yeah. He's up and at it, and he's got something that he's and, created yeah. here. And, and he has no reason to be, yeah. except that I'm doing it because it's what I do. Because what I equate songwriting to, and actually anything you do, you're in the garden. Your job Every single day is to pull weeds and pick flowers. Some days you're pulling more weeds than picking flowers. Other days it feels like everything's a flower. The day with Billy Corgan, we had four flowers. Bouquet of flowers. There was no weeds. Other days, all you're doing is just pulling weeds. But you got to be in the garden. And before we get too far away from it, there's two things that you said that need to be reinforced, which is, number one, listeners, in a roundabout way, Don is telling you, 
you got to get the reps. And how many times have I said this? You're probably saying to your listening device, too many times, Bruce, you say that all the time. We get it by now. You got to get the reps. But guys like Don and I say it because you got to get the reps. And second of all is you use the exact expression that Amy Keys, who sings on tour with Phil Collins, when I talk to her, and listeners go back and I'll put a link to it on the show page for Don's episode. Go back and listen to my interview with Amy Keys. Amy said, be a good hang. And and she said, you know, ultimately, you can't just be a good hang and never contribute anything. There's yeah. going to come a time when you got to pay the piper and they're going to say, OK, you know, you're here with what us. all got, I'm, pa- I'm paraphrasing. Right. But, you know, she's basically saying you're a great hang. But at some point, if you have nothing to offer, they're going to go, man, this hurts because you're a great hang. But, you know, you're not doing anything. But the moral of the story is that she said be a good hang. And and here you are saying the same thing. And, and I know prepared. you don't need the validation, but yeah. for the benefit of the listeners that, you know, okay, don't be a jerk in the room. Don't be the person who talks the most. Don't be the person who's showing off and, you know, just, just contribute. Like Don said, if you've got something to contribute, otherwise sit there and, and add some, some nice spirit to the room, some nice energy, just people. So people know you're there yeah. and they're liking you and, and, and you'll step up when it's your yeah. time. And that's chemistry, right? I mean, you think of a band like the who now, Pete wrote most of those songs, but if the other guys weren't in the room, they w- it wouldn't be the Who. And guess what? He tried to not. He tried to being Pete Townsend. He had a, some success, but it wasn't like the Who. Roger Daltrey thought, "I'm the voice. I can go sing somewhere." He went and sang and did not have a hit. The only other hit he had was with the song that Pete Townsend wrote. <laughs> so, what I you know, Bono said this. Um, a long time ago with you too, he said, just never rid the room of the argument. So you don't get rid of people because they don't agree with you. You just always have the best people with the best intentions. Mm -hmm. And that's what sustained all of my relationships. And that's why I get to continue them. And so do I wish I were bigger? And Mick said to me once, he said, the only difference between you and me is like the light hit me more. Mm. And once you hear that, you can then at least go to bed at night, not wanting to hang yourself because you're like, wait a minute. I put in 200,000 hours, all right? So don't, I, Ma- Malcolm Gladwell with your 10,000 hours, I finished that, you know, 100 years ago. But the job is just keep working. So I didn't forget, Dan brought Skyman to you. How did you ever meet Dan in the oh first place? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, a friend of a friend was producing, wanted to be a co-producer on that movie or is a co-producer on the movie and said, I know a guy Okay. Who I think you would like. Okay. Dan came in. He's from Seattle. And mm. again, why did that happen? Back to what you said before, Bruce. Be a good hang. The guy liked me because I wasn't a jerk. And I got the opportunity. And then our job is just to be prepared for the opportunity. Yep. yep. You know? Yep. You sent me something last week where you said that you also just completed a five-day writing camp and you wrote 20 songs. Where was that? Who was putting it on? Why did you decide you wanted to be a, a part of it? Th- those types of things. Um, I love a good challenge, first of all, uh, and I like to be busy. And what happened was there's a publishing company. There's Cobalt, who I'm part of. Um, they're a pretty big company, and then my publishing is through them. And then there's another company uh, out of Canada who's also several other places called Network. And Network, N-E-T... Yeah, T W E R K. Yeah, they have several artists, and they wanted them to come to L A. and I have my studio there, and so we did, um, quote unquote, camp. So they brought seven writers, and then there were three of so there were maybe ten of us total, something like that. 
Um, and over the course of the week, what they do is they come in with briefs in the morning. They say, okay, we're doing the new J-Lo movie called Marry Me, and it's with Owen Wilson, and then there's a song when they're in a um, at a prom, and this song comes on, and we need that song. Uh, we need the song for the new Fortnite commercial. We need the song for the new Fast and Furious 9. So they gave you real specific things. Oh, there's a new rom-com. We need the song for that. And then every day, we would split up into two groups and go, Let's, we're going to write these. And in the course of that, we were writing, you know, three, four, five songs a day. Mm-hmm. Literally, there were enough of us that were, it was just pouring out of us. Yeah, we would be wow. done and move on. Wow. It was exhausting, <laughs> but so exhilarating because you were felt like you were in, a, in rooms of greatness. Everybody was really, really good. So you never had to carry the weight. You could, want, on one song, hey, I have this piano idea. Boom, off and running. The next one, you didn't say anything. Someone did something, and then you're just contributing. And it felt like everyone was leaning into this cool thing. Well, probably the fact that there was, say, a deadline, for lack of a better word, there was a purpose to it, as opposed to just a co-write that you go into just to say, hey, uh, so-and-so introduced us. You know, Let's write together. Let's see if we come up with anything. This is, no, here's what we need. Let's get this done. That's a good point you're making, by the way. Um, I'm a firm believer in putting deadlines on things. That's not to mean you can't go back and revise that deadline. But another thing for your listeners, I would always say, put a time limit on on something. Because just knowing that there's an end time forces you to do the work. Now, you don't want to get forced into doing poor work. So when you're done and you reflect back on it, you go, well, that was not good. I need to fix it. (laughs) That's different. But I like to put deadlines on things because it, then I know I'm getting it done. Yeah, that sense of urgency will force you to apply yourself a little bit more as to taking this lackadaisical attitude and almost maybe talking yourself into, if it doesn't go okay, that's all right. That's well, a good point, Bruce. You probably came in with the wrong attitude. Right. Go out and come back in and let's try that again. Well, especially because we're in a world of um, bedroom producers. So in your bedroom, you have all day, all night, every day. I own this studio. I can be in here anytime. But I'm very specific about I have to have that done today. That gets done tomorrow. I don't like things open-ended, and I think that will really help help people to finish. Because you're also, if people are afraid of success, they don't realize it. Mm. There's sort of fear. They don't really want it to go out. It's way easier just to talk about, oh, I'm really good. I'm, oh, you got to hear what I'm working on. It's not really finished yet. And then if it's never really finished, you never really have to take ownership of it. Mm. You never have to be out it is it it isn't good enough but with the way the industry has changed where instead of being in the studio for six months and then going out on tour for six months and then wash rinse repeat and now it's such a singles driven industry you do have to be more deadline driven and say if i'm going to get these out on any sort of recurring cycle if i want to pursue success and get something new out there i can't just talk about being in the studio and watch all my colleagues releasing their material I've got to get something done and, yeah. and have it out. You know, it's conceive. I wish I had a really, I think I, I did at one point think of a really clever way to say it, but it's you conceive it, you create it, and whatever another C would be, you let it go. <laughs> I was standing by with the copyright 2019 I Don Miggs. I was, <laughs> I had yeah, your conceive, back. Conceive, <laughs> create. 
I wish I had it, Bruce, but you, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. <laughs> From time to time, we get a guest on the show who has had success with song placements on TV and or in film. And I mentioned in the intro that you've had success with the Food Network, which I like that, by the way, because they need music, yet everyone is always just thinking of the four major TV networks. And here you are doing lots of business with songs for the Food Network. Listen, there's music everywhere. Our job, if what you want to do for a long time, I didn't, I resisted against writing for other people, writing for TV shows and stuff. I thought it was beneath me. Mm. I was an artiste. Uh, and okay. then I finally realized that I could take my head out of my butt. <laughs> and listen, if you have to have a day job, if the thing you love doing is making music, make that your day job. And so what I do is every morning I get up and I create some music beds. And I have two, we're working on our third now, Food Network show, um, The Extra Mile, um, Wolf It Down, and we're doing one new one I can't remember the name of. And that's all with my friend Tyler Florence from the Food Network. They've been really wonderful with me in that um, I work with a partner, this guy, Greg Hoovison, and he and I just create stuff, put it into a folder. They use whatever they use, mm -hmm. and we own the music. So... When you walked in here today, I was working on a song with, with now with the singer on it, which was one of the songs that we used on Food Network with no, it was just an instrumental. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's actually a really good track. So now mm -hmm. I'm revising the track to make it for a single. So even though you're creating those for the Food Network, you own the song own and it. can do that. Yeah. Okay. Now a lot of, that's a unique situation. I, that came from just, that's years of like being in, in the business and saying, I'm not giving you my stuff. I'll let you, you can use it, but I can use it for whatever I want. Typically, they own the song. If they do it, they do a license and they just take it from you. But I'm basically a music library and I allow them to use but it. But when did you cross that plateau in your career where you did start saying, I'll create this for you, but just so you know, I own it? Because I have to imagine at some point, someone was like, no, yeah. sit down, young man. This is how right. it actually works. <laughs> right. We own it and you're welcome. And so you obviously took that in and said, no, I'm going to get to a point where I call the shot. So yeah. do you remember when and how that happened? Only in the last two years or so. Oh, is that all? Yeah. I mean, it's taken me a long time. And a lot of that is on me. A lot of that is fear. It's, it's all fear-based. And by the way, you don't have to be an idiot about it. You can just say, I have an idea. Because what I did is I went to Tyler and said, I have an idea. He told me what the show was, and I, I created the uh, the theme. And I said, hey, I think this might be cool. The minute I had him with that, I reeled him in and said, mm. and, and he's a friend, very good friend now, but I said, uh, I could do the music for it. How about you just pay me X per track, and then you use as much as you want of it, and it's cheaper because I'm only taking, so I think initially it was like $400 a, a song. Which is not a lot of money, but we did 18 episodes. We're in our second season now. 18 episodes, mm -hmm. and he took two to four songs every wow. episode. Wow. You can start doing the math. That adds up. Plus, I own it. Exactly. Every time it gets played, I get something from it. Well, and you own it because now you can do what you're talking about that, that you were doing with the song when I walked in. And the number one thing it did was, back to what we've been talking about, it forced me to have deadlines so what I would do, I'd get up in the morning, and Greg and I call it, we work out. It's our working out. And we actually name the 
we're called the gym rats. We named the project the gym <laughs> rats because it's our working out. You get up in the morning and you bang out one of those songs. Mm. It's not a song you're using for anything else. So it's got a bed of something. Maybe I'm playing some drums, some bass. You bang it out, and now I've done my workout in the morning, and I've made some money doing it. But the other thing it did for you is it forced you to put yourself in an uncomfortable place and say, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable here and speak up. And if I get a yes, it's going to get me to uncharted territory that's going to be good. And if I get a no, I'm going to say, what else is new? There's all kinds of no's all over this business. We're so used to it. At least I asked. Yeah, fall forward. It's okay to fall. Just try to do it going forward. I love it. Listeners, especially those of you who are up-and-coming performers. Don't worry, I am about to ask Don about his music publishing company and the writing that he does for pitch and for artists. But first, you have to know that I was looking around here to see what Tascam equipment Don might have. I brought the same setup here to record with him as I had brought to Nashville for the series of eight NHTE episodes that I recorded at the Summer NAMM show. I've got my Tascam headphones two TM60 microphones, my DR44WL handheld recorder. I actually could have brought my Tascam US42, the audio interface called the Mini Studio Creator, but this way I don't have to bring my laptop. So Tascam has actually been in business for closer to 50 years than 40, and they have something for everyone regardless of what your recording needs are. Get on Tascam.com and see the full line of gear. That's T-A-S-C-A-M, Tascam.com. Okay, Don, what about your music publishing company? What about the five songs a week that you average writing for artists or for pitch? I know there are going to be up-and-coming performers listening who are going to say, yeah, I need what he does. Are are you open for business? Ah, always. I'm always, look, my ears are always ready for, for the next great thing. And to me, that also isn't about you having something great going on. It's about... You being a great hang and a great, you're you're a great listener and you also have a vision. And if you don't have a vision, you're okay with me helping you with that Mm. vision. But once you grab onto it, you grab it and go. Because the thing about this industry is we're all a dime a dozen, right? So it's the same thing I say about my kids. My kids are all unique. My two kids are unique snowflakes and they're the same as everyone else. (laughs) So that's the same in music. I could throw a rock. It'll bounce off of people way more talented than me. So you've got to find what you do well. And then you've got to hone that like a sharp knife. And then you also have to sort of knock off all the edges. So for me, my music publishing was an avenue and me doing all this writing. It's an avenue for me to be more creative for more people, but only after I was very singular. I don't know if I'm making sense. So when I do the whole damn mess, it's one style of music. Every song, if right now I say to you the Rolling Stones, in your head you can hear a song. Mm -hmm. And now you hear the style. If I say to you the Beatles, you hear a style in your head. Springsteen, you hear a style. All of the biggest acts, the Who we spoke about, Zeppelin, you hear a style. The truth is they don't just sound like that. If you put on their music, you'd go, oh my God, the Stones also did Wild Horses. And in my head, I was thinking Jumping Jack yeah, Flat, yeah. right? But there is a singular style. They own a lane. All of the best artists, they pick a side. They're not on the fence. They decide, I'm going to be this. And then if you're lucky, what you've decided to be, I think of it if we're on a freeway in, in LA, it's always crowded. So if we're all cars, our in our careers are cars, don't get in the lane that Beyonce's in because mm. you can't pass her. 
Mm-hmm. Don't get in the lane that Billie Eilish is in right now. You're not getting by her. She's like the it. biggest artist. She's You cannot get by her. So pick a lane that's maybe a little Billie, but more whoever is where there's an open mm-hmm. opening for you. So what I do with my publishing company is I sign those same... It's a great analogy, by the way. I sign those same artists. I sign people who they can write a bunch of things when they're doing their artist thing. It's very singular. So two different things. If I'm writing for pitch, writing for other people, I'm steeped in music. I can We can sit here and talk about hip-hop, R&B, classics. Classical does not matter. I'm steeped in it, and I try to write in every one of those things as frequently as I can, so that I can never be stumped. Mm-hmm. But when you are now as an as an artist, it's a singular thing. You can love a bunch of stuff, but if someone ever says to you, "Well, what's your style?" and you go, "Oh, I don't know. I'm a little of everything," you're dead in the water. Nobody cares about I'm a, I'm a little of everything. Pick a side, and be the champion of that. I mean, there's a reason why. The big ones are the big ones. It's not by happenstance. And part of that is you've got to declare what team you're on. And then if you want people to follow you, people follow leaders. So let's look at the past few presidents. Whether you like them or not doesn't matter. They have all taken such a stand that people follow them because people follow a leader. Well, it's not unlike a lot of times I will see the artists that will list like three different genres, maybe even four, and I'll put them on the spot and I'll say, if you were filling out a form on the internet and there was a drop down and you could only pick one, which genre would you put down as the one that you do? And then it kind of puts a gun to their head and makes them go, well, gosh, now that you frame it that way, I guess I'm blank. Okay, well, there you go. Then be blank. And you know why you have to be blank? Who? No one is following somebody who doesn't know where they're going you follow leaders well said so be a leader like if you decide on this be that listen if you're a lord and the difference you say lord and carly ray jessman carly ray jessman had that song call me maybe Mm -hmm. um which was huge lord so she has a moment carly ray jessman has a great moment huge hit song the artist lord has a career Mm. why she picked she just told you who she was the music matched the look, matched her interviews. You, It was singular. Wow. You knew wow. what you were following. So Carly Rae Jespin wrote a great song, but that's a moment. There's nothing wrong with it, but Lord doesn't have to have another hit. She will have a career mm-hmm. the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. She can tour because she has people who have followed her. They would die for her. Yeah. You know, and if you're not willing to die for yourself, it's a difference between Demi Lovato and Taylor Swift. Demi Lovato has had hit songs, but nobody knows who she is, and neither does she. Mm. And it's not an insult, just the truth. She follows whatever is going on. Taylor Swift leads the charge. She steals from everybody enough, but has led the charge. So, Yeah, it's, it's refusing to give up who you decided you were at some point and saying, I'm going to stick with this. Am I going to lose some people along the way? I, I might, I, you know, there's, yeah, I probably will, but I'm too committed to this brand that I've established, to this sound that I found. Curated. That I found that this is what I wanted to build my music on, and I'm not going to abandon it now for a popularity contest. Right. You're going to have a much longer career and be true, and people are going to see that. And in this day and age where everybody wants to talk about all these 
darn buzzwords that are so overused, yeah. but you know, authentic and transparent and all that stuff. But staying true to who you are, that's that's what I this mean, is. I mean, Bruce, it's, our cycle in our industry is unlike any other industry. The cycle we get is four years. That's a generation. Mm. It's ninth through twelfth grade. That's your generation. Then it flips. That's why pop artists you don't they don't really last more than four years because the generation changes. So Lord was big, and then at the end of the four years, she fizzled out, and Billie Eilish is in, and she'll be big, and then four years she'll fizzle out. Whoever is sort of on the cusp mm. now will come in. Just the way it works. Whoever's in the on deck circle. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is do your homework or make sure the people in your camp are doing their homework. It looks bad if someone makes contact on your behalf to say that you would make a good guest for a certain show and that they should interview you when in fact you've already been a guest on that show. This is a good example of why you need to have good communication and record keeping so that it's clear to everyone on the team where you've been as well as who has been contacted and what the outcome was and when that took place. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes, and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. I mentioned back in the intro John Fogarty and Paul Anka, but I believe you've even performed alongside Maroon 5 and even Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots, and you were even on Good Morning America? I've Yeah, I've done a bunch. I did. I had the very great fortune of being the idiot on Good Morning America. The band's ready to go on, and they go, um, we're going to need to go to Michael Jackson's funeral. Oh, I'm like, are you kidding no. me? He's going to be dead after this. Can't, oh, you no. know, can't we finish playing? So... Took all the wind. Like I said, we rose to the middle because we'd have all these great opportunities. We're going to be on gotcha. Good Morning America. Gotcha. And so we were, um, we actually had to record it and they played it the following week, but it took all the wind out of my sails. Well, shame on me. I've yet to bring up our mutual acquaintance, Charlie Midnight, the who best. you have collaborated with. Tell the listeners about how you got to know him and the extent of the work that the two of you have done. You and I think of the world of him. One of the best. The listeners need to hear more about him. The coolest thing about Charlie, so Charlie is so prolific. There, I sincerely don't know if I know a better lyricist out there. And someone who loves, loves the craft, loves writing songs and I've had him in here for long periods of time. I met Charlie several years ago. My publisher at the time and his publisher at the time set us up and he we spoke on the phone and he was a curmudgeon. He was like, I don't uh I don't write with just anybody. So I sent him songs. We had a little conversation and I forget he said I'll I'll come by for a, I'll come by once or something. 
and we'll see what happens because I, I tried to set more up or whatever it was because I was like, this is Charlie Midnight. So for me, Charlie Midnight, who wrote, he wrote Living in America for James Brown. With, you know, he and Dan Hartman. I mean, Living in America. He's written some wonderful, iconic songs, but he wrote a song no one really knows that I love. And it's called Sometimes by John Waite. And it was on one of his records, like Rover's Return of 100 years ago. And he just writes this line that like, um, when I've hit my back against the wall, um, I play some Joe Jackson and watch the moon shadows fall. Just the way the lyric comes out. I was like, who wrote this freaking mm-hmm. song? Mm. And it was Charlie Midnight. And several years later, you know, 40 years later, 30, 20 years <laughs> later, I meet Charlie, comes in. And he's a character, you know. Yep. He's all in black, <laughs> including his hair. Always. His name's Charlie Midnight. Always. And he's New York, and I'm New York. And he sits down, he's like, you know, what is music? They're just words or whatever. So first day, we wrote like three things. And we just liked each other. So he doesn't get... He, Charlie does not write with people more than one. He doesn't come back, whatever it is. He's, you know... We wind up writing. We, I'm telling you, we've written... if. 50 to 100 songs wow. we got to a point wow. where i'm like charlie i'm in the middle of this thing um i need some lyrics send me something or we'd facetime and we would just write the song so now what i've taken to doing i felt like i needed to go and be my own writer because i wound up really relying on charlie i'd never had another lyricist growing up again i was back to me being it's all about me i'm writing everything mm-hmm. When Charlie and I started getting together, I was like, I love this writing so much. We wrote two full records for Migs, just he and I. And I, then I, after that, I'm like, all right, I can't rely on him for everything. I got to try to write. So then I started doing a gazillion sessions and he never, never had them. But this last summer, I started bringing him in again on ones where I thought, this kid needs to learn something that I'm writing with. And gotcha. there's no gotcha. better person to be in the yeah. room than Charlie yeah. Midnight. Yeah. And again, you can't substitute that experience and how, you know you just and can't and he is such a wonderful writer and he's so intuitive so if you sit with him and say all right he, he just waits he sits there with his laptop and just keeps writing and he's going like shush, 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 shush. and you're just doing your thing and he's just watching then i'll go you said something before um about uh, the moon shadow so i have this idea and then he always sings it like he's bob dylan you and I are passing through, and da, 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 da. <laughs> and when he says the last line, he knows it's good. He smiles because <laughs> he's like, "Go ahead and try to one up that you little whippersnapper." Mike, mic drop, as they say. Mic drops. <laughs> uh, I also read that your band had the opportunity to have the late Phil Ramone as a producer, sitting right where you are now. Wow! Actually, the wow. chair right there. I I actually had that made for Phil. <clears throat> mm. Um, Phil's son was my, an intern here and I had no idea who his dad was. I knew him as BJ and I never got to know him cause I thought he was going to leave right away. Was his last name not Ramon? It's BJ Ramon. But he worked for my, like he worked in here and I never, I just paid him cash at first. Never. I knew BJ. And then one day I got BJ Ramon and I was still like, oh, that's interesting. I grew up in New York. So I know all of the stuff Phil Ramone has done because Billy Joel, I mean, Paul McCartney, Paul Simon, Ray Charles. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody. I mean, he has 
15 Grammy Awards and 33 nominations. So I said to one day his son was here and said, hey, would you mind if after hours I edited this thing for my dad? It's I edited the band Chicago for my dad. And I go, no, no, no problem. I'm leaving. I go, wait, Chicago. Yeah, the group. I go, wait a minute. What what are you editing? Well, my dad, he's in the middle of doing a couple records. He's this George Michael thing or whatever, and he has Chicago, and he needs some help. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. wait. If you tell me right now (laughs) that your father is Phil Ramone and you've never mentioned this to me in the two years you've worked here, I'm going to lose my mind. I I give the kid a little credit, though. He never once used his dad. He never, but I think he assumed I knew, and he was like, well, yeah, my, my dad's Phil. I said, oh, my God. Do you know how much I love your father's like mm. history? Wow. So then I, I wow. said, man, if he was ever a fan of mine, I would love to make a record with him. And he said, and I get chills. He said, my dad loves your music. I oh said, he gosh. doesn't know who I am. He goes, of course he does. Because, you know, Miggs has done okay. We just weren't, we weren't huge, but we were always really well respected. I said, your dad knows me? Yeah. I said, would he do a record? He said, I send something to him so i send him um i send him a record i mean a couple songs and he's a fan and so we get on the phone and where does he call me from paul simon's house oh my gosh he goes hi uh paul uh, hey paul this is he's, he's talking to paul while he's talking to me so the first time i meet phil he comes and stays here for three weeks and i kept the slippers because he we, <laughs> we always wear slippers in our house and i had him sign them sign a book and I have that stuff in the house and it's something where you've walked around you see some memorabilia I haven't put any of that up because that's like just feels too close and I just yeah, yeah. I was the last record he ever did mm. last thing he ever did on wow. a record he sang on my last song I have him do this really low voice thing and he died after Outstanding. that mm. listeners I'm on location here in Tampa Florida with singer songwriter guitar player jack of all trades Don <laughs> Miggs Visit MIGS.com and then get ready to ride the proverbial information superhighway all over the place. There are links there to all the projects that we're talking about today and then some. Plus, of course, lots of social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There is a YouTube channel for the band, too. And then there's music to be bought. Yes, as I usually say, you can follow and stream on Spotify. But it's always best to support the guests on NHTE by purchasing downloads of their music from iTunes. Spend some time online and look at all things MIGS. Again, MIGS.com. We'll put a link to it for the show page for this episode at NHTE.net. Do not be fooled by all the traveling that I seem to do or the fact that this show is Five and a half years old. I am, for all intents and purposes, a one-man operation. And all this work to bring you a new episode every week does take time and carries different costs. As a result, it would help me out a lot if you would support the show through Patreon. If you feel you get value from Now Hear This Entertainment, whether it's me, the guests, the educational aspects, the entertainment, if you feel you get value from this show... Consider what you can contribute and click the orange support us on Patreon button at nhte.net. I do appreciate your contribution regardless of what level you get involved at. Don, let's get into these other non-music projects of yours, speaking of MIGS.com. First would be the one that gets my attention the fastest, which is your weekly radio show. Tell the listeners about that, what it is, how you got the opportunity, how they can listen uh, it's an FM radio show called Migs and Swig. Um, we're on 102.5 The Bone. 
which you can, I guess you can stream it, go there, go to migsandswig.com. You can find us, you know, go to migs.com. I guess from there you can find, it. I, I'm terrible at all of this part of it. <laughs> I just like to create and then let, let it all fall where it's going to fall. And, uh, I had a guy who had an AM radio station and said, have you ever thought about doing a show? And I said, no. So would you like to try? I said, if I don't have to leave my house. <laughs> so I got a, much like your task cam here, but I got a thing called a Comrex, brought it into my office, and I started out doing it here in the studio, and then I have too many sessions, so I brought it in there, and just um, started talking on this AM, and then from there, got moved over to FM, and now we're, the show just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's on Saturdays from 11 to 2. Even when I'm in LA, I, I re- do the show from there live, and just streaming. 11 a.m. or p.m.? 11 a.m. 11 a.m. to 2. Okay, so, so 11 a.m. Eastern Time yep. listeners. And that's on FM, and, it, and it's called Life, and it's Life Out Loud. It's literally, I do like to talk about my kids. I like to talk about different projects, and I like to bring on people who um, I find fascinating. Nice, nice. Next is your book that came out in February called Dad Knows Best. Yeah, Dad's Know Best. I own the Know Best book series. So my idea is it's like chicken soup for the soul meets four dummies. Um, and the books will be, I think I'm doing six right right now. So the, we're doing a women's no be, women no best, kids no best, dogs no best. You know, could be entertainers no best. I love it. I love and it. the first one's dad's <laughs> no best. And it's available everywhere. It's a great, great book. And everyone's having a kid. So you you know someone with a kid. Go buy my dang book. <laughs> Listeners, you hopefully know that I do a lot of speaking engagements. In fact, this is a busy time for me with some of those. September 14th, Los Angeles, September 24th, Tampa, and then October 7 in Las Vegas. Now, for that last one, something I'm definitely going to use for getting ready to head there is the Access Vegas newsletter. There's a good chance you already know about it since the folks running that have been in business since 1997. This thing gives you instant access to thousands of dollars in no coupon needed dining savings on the Strip and downtown Las Vegas, Fremont Street. You'll find out things like the cheapest and free ATMs on the Strip, cheapest drinks on the entire Las Vegas Strip, and the newest casino game that you must avoid Go to our show website, nhte.net, and click on the Access Vegas logo, and then put in the code BRUCE to get $5 off when you sign up to start receiving their newsletter. I read it. There's tons of info in each one. Go to nhte.net, click on the Access Vegas logo, put in the code BRUCE to get $5 off, and you'll gain all kinds of insider tips for your next trip to, sorry, New York, the place that I think is the real city that never sleeps. Don, one more area we want to cover is your involvement with fashion. The listeners will see three different brands on your website, but in your own words, let's hear about all that. Well, that's another thing I love. I've always loved fashion. Um, And, you know, what I like to do is I, I just love to wake up every day and be charged and then basically fall, fall into bed like, collapse into bed because I've I've just exhausted my day. I just know we're going to be dead longer than we're alive and I just try to be mm. alive. And the fashion thing is through some of my music friends, so Kevin Martin from Candlebox the singer, his wife is Natalie Martin. And Natalie 5 4 or 5 years ago was a 
budding fashion designer and she has a line called the Natalie Martin collection. And I said, I think I've just always known a bit about business. I said, I think I can help her. And there's just a couple little things I would do. And so I became partners with her and now we're in Neiman Marcus, Max, but we're in all the biggest places. You can go online and get Natalie Martin collection. Then there was another one, the guitar player from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, um, Lawrence Katz, who's now a member of my whole damn mess. His wife has a line, Coravillas, and did the same thing. I Once I saw I could do it with one, I'm like, I think I can help you. And so we started doing stuff. She is now the head designer, I think, at Anthropology. So she's doing her line and then Anthropology. And then I found this one, this girl that we love, and her name is Sable, and she's been doing it for a while and has had a lot of friends. And we were like, I think this could really blow up. And so we have Sablin, S-A-B-L-Y-N, and that one is just killing it. All we're just opening boutique stores for each of them in LA. Mm, nice. We're now really big online presence and going to all the biggest retailers. So it's it's another just way to express yourself. And again, it it's no different than the music. It's no different than any of it. You find a thing, you get passionate about it, and always be smart about what you're betting on too. So I, I like to bet on the jockey. So if I want to write a great song, I bet on the jockey like Charlie Midnight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I want to to have a great um, radio show, I start to go, hmm, who are the better, who's doing good radio? Ah, oh, The Bone does great radio. So that's Cox Media, that's a good place to go. If I want to do fashion, you find people who you think are good and doing a thing that fits a market and a price point, blah, 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 and then you go and attack it. And then you see what, you know, pieces fall where they may. But again, it's all about failing forward. It's all about yeah. like taking yeah. a shot. And then what I do is I know if that didn't work, I won't ever do that again. I'll do something else. But it's for me, it's fun to do those things because there are a lot of hours in the day. Or you learn why it didn't work and then you shift a little bit. And then once you've made that pivot, you say, okay, we're going to do it this way exactly. because I know what I did wrong that time. And, and it does mean enough to me that I do want to be involved with it. that I'll give it a, a, a quote unquote second go round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. We're going to close today with a song of yours called We Don't Need a Reason. So before I let you go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. Oh, my gosh. Uh, my wife, when she first met me, um, I said to her, what are you looking for in a guy? She said, I really want an, a brown-haired, blue-eyed Aries singer. And I was like, you're kidding me. Brown-haired, blue-eyed Aries singer. That's exactly what I am. So she wrote me this letter after our first first day meeting, this declaration of hope and of love and of like, if you were my man, what I would support, like where where I would, what I would think of you, what I would want you to be. And it, I wrote this song and the first line is, Aries, a letter and a leap of faith. Mm. Um, and then I literally chased the sun to go right across the country to, to just see her again, to see if wow. what I saw that first time was real. Wow. And then when she, we were like, this happened so fast. We were saying we loved each other and wanted to have kids and get married before we ever kissed. And everyone was like, what? what? What is that all about? What's the reason for that? And I said, we don't need a reason. And so that's become a charity I'm actually going to be starting, which is we don't need a reason. Why do you do good things? You don't need a reason. Mm. Why do you do anything? You don't need a reason. I you do it it because it's right wow you do what's right every day and you really can't fail mm. and so the song has become a complete mantra and i we have an eight and a ten year old 
and it's it infiltrates everything I do. Why do we do it? We don't need a reason except that it's right. And if you leave your life that way, the song really it serves a purpose. So I know it's a whole long way to say it, but if you're on if you're going to a Fleetwood Mac concert, they play it every night um, before in, before uh, their show. It's the music that gets wow. them into the Wow. Onto the stage. Awesome. Good stuff. Thank you. Don, this was great. Thank, Thank you. you. I really great to meet it. you. Really enjoyed it. Thank thanks you. Thanks so much. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player, entrepreneur, man about town, Don Miggs. Do visit the website Miggs.com. We will have a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. But wow, there is a lot to see. So make sure you check it out. Websites and social media accounts for everything we've been talking about today. Music, the publishing company, the recording studios, the radio show, his book, fashion. Engage with Don on social media. Find his music on Spotify and stream it there. But do purchase downloads from iTunes. For that matter, tell him you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. He would love to hear from you. And then I would be truly grateful if you would join the Patreon for this show to help me with some of the various and mounting costs for putting out a new episode of NHTE every week. You decide how much you can afford and want to give. This is not a 30-day crowdfunding campaign. This is ongoing. So if you feel like I'm delivering value to you, this episode today with Don Miggs and the overall NHT body of work in general, if you get education out of listening, if you get entertained by it, go to the show website, nhte.net, click on the orange Support Us on Patreon button, and put in your contribution and know that I am ever so grateful, regardless of the amount that you give at. In the meantime, thank you ever so much for listening to episode 293. We'll send you out today with another song from Don Miggs. This is the one he just talked about. It's called We Don't Need a Reason. 